Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. It's a short epiphany, so we've got to, you know, stay in motion. Okay, here we go. Let's pray, and then we will go. Merciful God, loving Father, you govern all things in heaven and on earth, and you make everything new through your almighty word. Transform our sinful nature and all things that we do by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we please you and someday come to a perfect joy through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good to see you. Um, all right, we got a new, we're going to, well, a couple things, new things. Um, let's see, just a little cleanup things. Thanks for the sabbatical time. It was very kind of you to, to let me go away, even though I didn't go away. Uh, I, did get a, I did get a lot done, so it was, it was very, very nice. So thank you for the time. It's nice to go. You remember that scola, for scholarship, the, the root word in Latin is leisure, right? So to do scholarship, you should relax and read a lot. But it was, it was very nice. I got a lot done, so I was happy about that. Thank you very, very much. It's good to be back with you. Um, I'm going to, so hey, resolutions for the new year. I'm going to try to start at 10 o'clock and end at 1040. So, uh, you know, hey, not so bad. I mean, it's baby steps. Uh, we'll try to start at 10 and end at 1040. Um, Dave Schlesselman and Dennis Wente. We'll give anybody who signs up for the men's retreat a dollar cold hard cash this morning. So this is your day to sign up. This will not be available next week. I mean, this, we're not going to $2 next week. This is an exploding offer. So if you're going to go to the men's retreat, get signed up. Okay, really, come in the evening, come in the morning, come both, stay overnight, don't stay overnight. We don't really care. What we do care about in the way of the book of Hebrews is that you come along. So that should be good. Um, you know, the vicar and I should talk more, but then Kirby and I should talk more, Right. <laughs> So, uh, you know, a couple of joy groupers came up to me and said how excited they were about the new Vickers Bible study. He just started something new. I'm like, really, what's he doing? He's like, Hebrews, he just did the first chapter. I'm like, fail, fail. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we should talk more. Uh, actually, though, it should, be, it should be okay. So you joy grouper types, you're going to get a double dose. But when I was on Vickers once, no lot, you know, guys have to turn in their sermons a couple of weeks ahead of time and... I turned in mind to my pastor. I love the guy, so don't, don't take this too much the wrong way. Of course, we're recording it, so if he listens. But I gave him my sermon weeks ahead of time, and then the next week he preached the sermon that I gave him. <laughs> and then when he came down from the pulpit, he goes, ah, sorry about that, I think I just preached your sermon. I'm like, now, what am I going to do next week? <laughs> so, uh, you know, in order to avoid such a thing, the vicar and I have both taken vows of silence. I will not talk to him for the rest of his vicarage. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, you know, allegedly because, you know, academic, um, you know, integrity, but really just because I'm mad at him. So we'll just go, we'll just go for it. No, it's going to all be fine. Um, to be honest with you, I've been waiting to do this on Hebrews for a couple of years. You know, John Kleinig has been writing a commentary. When he was here last summer, he uh, gave me a bootleg copy of it. So I have the, I have the, I have the, the manuscript that he gave to the publishing house. It'll, it should be out in a year or two, but I was impatient, and he said I could have it. Um, and he also gave me uh, the outline for a class that he teaches to seminarians and to pastors, you know, Hebrews, Why Go to Church. So the title is completely stolen. So I have his outline, but I have no idea what I said. So this, these next weeks will be just, guess what John Kleinig said. That's what's going to be, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read his commentary, and Luther also has a Hebrews commentary. I'm going to read some other stuff, uh, which is other than, believe me, I'm not giving this commentary to the vicar. I mean, this has already happened once, so it's not going to happen again, okay? He is on his own. Uh, 
But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can sort of put that together. So basically what the vicar will do for you in joy group is go through verse by verse, uh, which is a long process. I sat down to read, on Saturday I sat down to read Hebrews, uh, start to finish, because I thought I would urge you to do that. And then it took me about an hour. I read some of it out loud to myself, some of it not out loud. It's a, it's a technical, difficult book. Um, it's remarkably wonderful, but it's, it's tough going in a lot of places. Um, and it's so interesting because in the middle of it, he says, you know, let's get busy and once you grow up a little bit and learn some good stuff. I'm like, this is pretty. So uh, we'll have a run at it in sort of a different way. But I actually am going to couch it in terms of why you go to church. Or maybe it should be why you get to go to church or why it's wonderful to go to church. In, in so many ways, we miss what's really going on in many of the books of the Bible. So, you know, remember we did Philippians once, which was, you know, uh, how the game is meant to be played, or how how a, how a good church works. It's that one of the happiest, it's one of the happiest books in the scriptures, you know, because he's writing and saying, "I love your congregation because everything works. I love you because you remember what I taught you, and it's also faithful." In similar way, you know, people get all stressed out over Revelation as if you know the lake of fire is the only thing there. In a way, the lake of fire is kind of ancillary to what's going on. What's really happening is the liturgy, and that's a big Eucharistic liturgy. So you shouldn't be surprised when you get to heaven and it's the Eucharist going on. Um, that's, what, that's what happens in about three rounds. It's the liturgy going on. That's why there's incense. That's why there's altars. That's why there's the lamb. That's why there's lots of talk of blood and talk of baptism. He looks up at people in Revelation 22 and he sees people who are saved. How does he know? Because they have a brand on their forehead and his name shall be upon their forehead. That's how sheep and goats get sorted out. So a lot of times there's things behind what we actually think are there because we come to a text and we start to look for something. Um, but I wonder if we can just, just kind of hear it in this way, uh, that what he's trying to do is suggest to these people why it's really important for them to go to church, which, of course, I want to suggest to you why it's really important for you to go to church. It is the third word, right? Don't have any idols. And let's stay in touch. You can use my name to pray whenever you want. And then I'll meet you at church. And, of course, the difference between, as you sort out your, as you choose sides in the local battles... You can remember that um, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that you don't serve God, God serves you. The difference between Christianity and every other religion on the Sabbath is the Sabbath is established in Christianity so you can rest and God can serve you. In every other religion, the gods rest and you have to serve them. Which then, of course, changes everything about how you think about coming to church, right? So what happens when you come? The late service. First, God will baptize somebody. Then God will pull us to the altar. Then God will speak to us. You know, then God will put Pastor Nelson there to move him around. Then God will give you his body and blood, right? And then God will strengthen you and send you out the door for whatever might come to you next. And in seven days, we'll come back and do it all again because apparently that's about all you can last. Now, people from time to time overestimate their own strength and sometimes people go months and years without coming to the church, um, it only hurts them. Uh, and again, I'll just say to you, you know, I'm not doing this to engage two of the primary things that Christians often seem to engage, which are fear and anger. What I'm not going to try to do is um, scare you into coming to church, nor would I like it very much if you went home and tried to scare other people into coming to church. Your kid who's home in bed this morning, right? Or your next-door neighbor who you've been working on, or your old friend who no longer comes. You know... It can only, fear has a lot of uh, negative, 
there's a, there's a, there's a lot of negative consequences of fear, just like there is for being afraid, or for being angry. I'm sorry, for being angry. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to engage either of those things, nor am I going to engage the notion that we're so much better than everybody else because we showed up this morning. Much more in the way of the gospel is to read Hebrews and say, what in the world is God doing to us? And I think you might be surprised at how much there is. And so what will happen in your own life is that as you learn this, you'll be able to use it against the days when you frankly don't feel like coming to church, when the wind chill is, you know, minus three and it's still a little dark outside and you're very warm and safe and dry. Um, how, to, how to understand that what's happens here is good for you, okay? And, you know, the, the regular thing that I, that I hear from people who either own golf clubs or a bass boat, which is, uh, you know, I can worship God, you know, on the ninth green. Or uh, I'm closest to God when I'm in my bass boat. I'm like, well, you know, keep talking like that and you'll never get close to a bass again. My personal opinion. But, you know, um, no, here's the thing. I mean, it is true that beautiful things, I mean, actually, a golf course without playing golf is a wonderful place, right? I mean, it hardly could be more beautiful. It's like walking through a park. It's remarkable stuff. But it is not true that you're closer to God there. You can't be closer to God than when he touches you, even when he touches you with his flesh and blood, right? So, I mean, that's, that's not a, even though even though beautiful things are a window to the divine, you can see God's hand in things, or you can appreciate how wonderful it is to be loved. Uh, the, the closest you can get to God is at the altar and the pulpit and the font. That's the closest you can get because that's where the, the touch is. And so gospel is, is touch. And you saw in the little margin comment in the bulletin today, so this can, we're not going here, but you can re, reorient your life. The little psalm that says, joy is a place. You always thought joy was an emotion, but no. The gospel is touch, and joy is a place. It's not a feeling, it's a place. So the little psalm note down there that says, in the presence of your house I find joy. So the gospel is a person, the gospel is a touch, and joy is a place. So anyway, when you start to sort of refigure your life in those particular ways, um, you know, things seem to work out. So anyway, that's where we're going. Everybody okay? Grab a Bible, I'm going to make you work. All right, so grab a Bible. There should be one in front of you if you don't have one. Hebrews is three-eighths of an inch from the, from the right thing. And Yonker wants to, you to put money on the table. Some of you don't have baskets, so over here it's, it'll turn into a poker game. But over here, we'll give it to the poor, okay? Um, I don't know. You know what? Uh, John, do we need we got money? Do we need money for anything? What do we need? Where do we want to send money? You got any ideas? You care? No? You throw some money in there, we'll spend it on somebody other than ourselves. We can give it to Russia. Actually, the bishops called and asked if he could stop by in another month or so. So, yeah, put a little money in for Russia. It'll, it's cold, we'll give it to Russia. That's good. All right. All right. So, keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, First and Second Timothy, keep going, keep going. You found Hebrews? Somebody got the... These, here's the thing. These people are just resistant over here. You can't horse to water, but, you know, there you go. Thank you. All right, here you go. You probably know this from Christmas time. These are some of the, you know, scripturally, these are some of the um, most beautiful words ever written. You probably have it by memory, you know. So, um, you know, this great introduction to Hebrews. Everybody who reads Greek recognizes this as a brilliant little piece of Greek. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. Everybody thinks that's wonderful, uh, just partly because of the construction and partly because of the elegance of it. Now, there's a little more going on there. Before we just do you know, what the words say, uh, there's a little more going on. So I've, I've sort of written you a, a little bit about this. First, the author. This is just point number one. Uh, you know, who, who is this guy? Well, as Origen once said, only God knows. So it's really interesting. We actually don't know who this is. Uh, occasionally, it was attributed to the Apostle Paul that people don't really go with that anymore. And it's fairly clear that he wasn't an apostle. If you um, poke around, I'm at point C there if you're, if you're keeping score. If you poke around here in verse 5.1, he actually says, um, or I'm sorry, 5.11, you know, about this we have much to say that's hard to explain since you become dull in your hearing. This is the way a teacher talks to his students who need to do a little bit more work, okay? So he is, uh, in some sense, a teacher, and he is a leader, 13.7. He sort of gives this parting shot uh, you know, obey your leaders in 17 and remember your leaders in 7, those who spoke to you the word of God. So he, he clearly has enough juice that he can talk to these people as if he knows them, and he clearly was a person of status, but likely not an apostle since he talks about other people being apostles. We heard it from those guys over there. That's verse 2-3, Hebrews 2-3, you know. It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard him. And so you remember one of the marks of the apostles was that you saw Jesus face to face. Even when Paul goes down on the Damascus Road, who are you, Lord? You know, He has this face-to-face encounter. So it looks as if he is a leader. He has status in the congregation. It looks as if he's taught them before. But it also looks as if it's not one of the apostles. And it is uh, a bit unknown to us. It is interesting or not interesting why that might be. You can kind of think that through. Sometimes is a way of effacing themselves or pushing the focus off themselves. Writers will not identify themselves in in the way that St. John talks about the beloved disciple or the disciple that was closest to Jesus at the Last Supper. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. We don't actually know who it was. But we do know that the man has talent, so I'm just a point to that. Um, you know, so who does he write to? Uh, we don't really know who it is either. We don't know where this goes, although if you're clear at the end, he says, hey, tell all the Italians hello, right? So uh, it seems like they have these mutual friends in Italy. This is way at the end, verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 13. It's way at the end, you know, I'm talking about all the things that are happening and greet all the leaders and all the saints. So hi to all my friends. You write this way as well. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. That's as much as a clue as we get. Hey, people from Italy say hi. So, you know, apparently they have some interplay. In some ways it doesn't really matter. In another sense it looks like it might have been 
It might have been um, folks who are in Rome, maybe around 65 AD or so. You get this long, early on, you get this long period from you know 45 or 50 AD all the way out to 80 or 90, but around 65. Again, you know, unless you're really, unless, unless that's the thing that matters most, it doesn't matter a lot. Um, and apparently they aren't interested much in telling us. That's not where they're trying to draw our eyes. You know, what they are trying to draw our eyes to is this, you know, this brilliant start to things in many and various ways. God spoke to our fathers of old by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Already he tells you what's most important. That, that you're new and different and blessed because you've seen things that other people have never seen. He used to talk to the prophets. He talked to our fathers who talked to us. The prophets talked to our fathers. Our fathers talked to us. And then suddenly you get to be the chosen generation where you get to see God face to face in the person of Christ. It's a remarkable claim. Um, and it does... Uh, if you think it's not practical, it is. It clears up the whole Wheaton College situation for you in one sentence. So here's my, I'll just give you my judgment because some of you have asked. The answer is yes in the political science department. The answer is no in the theology department. You just have to know which game you're playing. And part of the problem is all the games are being crossed. And it's never very helpful when people from outside come and try to manipulate other people for their own gain. So it's a very crisp question. If you have a flowchart of how people came to be, yes is the answer in the history department or the political science department. No is the answer in the uh, history of doctrine department or the theology department. It's really quite simple. And it's all tested out by this simple thing. Is Jesus different from the prophets? Yes. How is he different from the prophets? He's God. I mean, two words you can... uh, Was it the reading this morning? I think it was. Jesus is Lord. You remember that in the early church, in the catechumenate, when Christians were persecuted, you were in the catechumenate for three years before you could come into baptism, and you had to have a sponsor because they didn't want to be betrayed and martyred. And at the door, the code word for getting in was, Jesus is Lord. The reason for that is that only Caesar was Lord. And if you said Jesus is Lord at the door that was a treasonable offense that was punishable by death. And so in the epistle for today, I'm sure, wasn't that in the epistle for today? It was in the epistle for today. When he says, and we all say, Jesus is Lord, that's completely subversive. And that would not have been acceptable. Only Caesar was Lord. To say Jesus is Lord is to put yourself liable to death. Okay? So, I mean, it's this simple, and this is the great part of being Lutheran, when all theology is Christology. Right? You can pull everything out of the Christology of Jesus. So the easy answer is, Jesus is God. Now people will line up on one side or the other of that. And with God without any wiggle, only begotten from eternity, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. That God. Not just sort of got good grades in theology class. Okay? So sometimes people get um, sort of bent about the wrong things. You should... Always rise above, right? There's no point in fighting with people or making them angry. You should be clever, though, and you should know enough stuff to kind of move you through. Okay? You good? And all that out of the very first line of Hebrews. In the old days, it was prophets. But now he's spoken to us in the Son. Okay, good? You still okay? Questions? All right, so just a little bit about the structure. Because we have to kind of figure out, if this is about going to church... 
how he structures this is going to tell us what happens in church. The first thing that happens in church is that we, we hear stories, right? We are the stories that we tell about ourselves. So we hear these stories. We hear stories especially about Old Testament folks. And over and over again in Hebrews, you're going to hear stories of other folks. These are our people. This is who we are. This is our tribe. This is what we believe. This is how God took care of them. Here we go. One, two, three. So over and over again, you're going to hear stories about um, other people. All right? Um, I'm all the way to 3B. You might remember from our past encounters that sometime I don't follow this exactly. So, um, you know, what happens when he begins to speak is that he, he starts to use examples. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? And don't you remember over here? And, of course, you have that genius spit about when you come to faith about all the people. And then he's like, I'm out of time. I'm out of space. I'm out of ink. I'm out of scroll. i got to go. So, but the first thing you get is this foundation about all those folks. And then the next thing he says is, hey, that's your story, too. Now, Easter Vigil, you remember what happens at Easter Vigil? We're not long away. It's an early Easter. But what's the one thing that happens at Easter Vigil? We read these stories. We read the creation story. We read um, the Red Sea story. We read the Passover story. We read from Isaiah. Right? We read the three men in the fiery furnace that are really four men in the fiery furnace. What's the point of doing that? The reason you come on Easter Vigil is because we say that story is your story. We do exactly the same thing that they do in Hebrews. We read the stories and then we say, that story is your story. That story is your story, right? If they went through the Red Sea, you went through the Red Sea. If Adam fell in the garden, you fell in the garden. If Jonah got swallowed by the, by the whale and then vomited up on the shore, you got swallowed and vomited up. If there were three men in the fiery furnace and then there were four, and the fourth one was like a son of the gods, then when you're up against it in whatever your fiery furnace happens to be, you can be sure that there'll be a fourth person there. And they come out unsinged. They don't even smell of smoke. You see, this is classic stuff. The liturgy does this over and over again. So first it tells you the story. There's a story. And this is why it's so important to teach the kids Bible stories. That's why you need to learn Bible stories. Because it's not just that those are stories. It's that that story is your story. Right? And then the third point is, what difference does it make? At the end of 1 Peter, it says, you know, if we, 2 Peter, if we know everything is going to be consumed by fire, what sort of persons ought we to be in faithfulness and holiness? And that's the third point. So there's a story, and that story is your story, and that story makes a difference in your life. You're going to live in a different way because you have a story behind you. You're going to live in a different way because Jesus stands next to you. Now, apparently, that was very painful for these people. If it is around 65, things are still not going well for the Christians, especially in Rome, where people are being martyred, where they're being fed to the animals, they're taken to the game. This is not going to go well for them. So now I'm at the top of this page. Um, in Christ, these people are different. I'm at the top of the same page, so I'm just above number three. Go above number three. In Christ, they're different. They're different people. They have a different being. They live differently, so they act in a different way. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Give to the poor, right? Don't hate. Don't be afraid. Don't be angry, right? They're, and because of this difference, what happens? And this is not a thing that, that we've experienced for a while, but we're going to experience it, although I'm not you know, as dire as you know, the last Cardinal Bernadine said, you know, I'm going to die in my bed. 
you know, and the next guy's going to, you know, die in prison and the next guy's going to die a martyr's death. You know, I don't know that it's as dire as that, but unless you live in Wheaton, Illinois, or, or maybe I should reverse the question. If you live in Wheaton, Illinois, you might have the sense that everybody is Christian. Um, the notion that America is a Christian nation and that we're, um, that, that we're predominantly Christian one of the most interesting things, I talked about this a little bit in New Members yesterday, is anybody under 30 doesn't know the Bible stories anymore. You know why? Because they're being taught by people who are 60 who didn't know the Bible stories. So those things aren't passed down anymore. Literary illusions. I have my, friends, I have my, my kids' friends call me from college to ask about literary illusions in, 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 in the books that they're reading for humanities. This is no longer in our culture, Okay. And the presumption that it is, you're only fooling yourself. The truth is, it hasn't been in our culture for a really, really long time. In fact, you know, um, I hate to burst your bubble, but, you know, the Jefferson Bible, he denied the deity of Christ. He didn't believe in the resurrection. It was a cut-and-paste thing. You know, just read, read American history a little more carefully. Israel, America is not the promised land. I, I'm not, I don't mean anything by that other than it's not the reincarnation of Israel. You know, Jesus is the temple and Israel is the church. That's how Jesus talks in the scriptures. Now, what is happening is that um, you no longer can have favored status. But for much of history, say the first 300 years, and then for many other uh, you know, decades and even centuries in between in different places, you didn't have favored status. We've lived in, we've, we've lived in sort of a bubble, you know, a happy bubble, where we could sort of do what we want and be unchallenged. Um, things are going a different way. You know, who can tell the future? I mean, I don't have any idea. But I will just say to you, it's nothing new. So once again, while it may make you nervous, it makes your tummy hurt when all this stuff happens. I mean, I get it. It's, not, it's never fun to be pressed. It's never fun um, to be, in, be somebody's target. Uh, it's never fun to be <clears throat> the minority. And of course, you can write history as the story of the oppressed becoming oppressors. So we will watch those who become our masters to see if they will act with the uh, generosity and virtue to which they currently ascribe themselves. We will see, right? Christians haven't always done a great job either, but we'll look for, um, we'll look for those who come to power to see how they handle things once they come to power. Usually people don't do as well as they think they'll do. Every new president seems to um, get the surprise of his life. So many things that were said during the debate suddenly look different when you're on the other side of the desk, you know, for whatever party you're from. Anyway, the point of all that is, is that, you know, I'm not giving you this dire prediction of, you know, you're going to be oppressed and martyred and all that, but things could get extraordinarily uncomfortable for you and for me, and that's nothing new. Okay? It's just, it's just nothing new. And you can see it here. If you read the way that they talk, it's very clear um, that these folks are being wounded. And because of that, they get discouraged and they get tired and they don't do very well sometimes. However, what you hear from the guy that, who writes Hebrews is buck up and let's go to church. Because don't you remember those stories are your stories and those stories matter. And God stands behind those stories. And the ultimate thing about why you don't have to be angry or afraid is the Lord is going to come and sort it out. In your own life, the things that make you most angry the way through that is to remember that the Lord will sort it out. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It actually doesn't belong to you. What belongs to you is turning the other cheek, praying for your enemies, 
not having any enemies, right? Doing good to those that hate you. And Jesus will sort it out. And the reason it becomes so painful for us is because we have such a short time frame. So, you know, we're going to live 70 or 80 years if we're lucky. And what makes us extraordinarily cranky is that we don't want any of those 70, 80 years wasted by pain, sickness, oppression. I mean, think about all these guys who go, have been lately been in jail and are clearly... I'm not talking about any of the, like, on-the-fence things. I'm just talking about the people who have clearly been in jail. There was a guy who got out yesterday who, you know, 10 years in jail, because he says that he wouldn't, you know, pay, pay a bribe to a cop, and so he's been in jail 10 years, and now they've let him out and dropped all charges. You think to yourself, you know, 10 years of a man who maybe going to live 60 or 70 or 80 years is a good chunk of his life. You know, those sorts of things make us angry. But in the end, partly what you have to remember is, you know, what what we tend to forget is, you know, your life starts here. You do have a start, but you don't have an end. You do have uh, one death in baptism. You'll have another death where we'll drop you in the dirt. But beyond that, you're an ongoing concern. And so over the course of several hundred million years, you know, uh, the few years that you might have been abused here are relativized. Of course, it's very difficult to that to say when you're in the middle of that, which is why you should come to church, so that you are strengthened for the day when it comes. Did I mention the point of this, that you should go to church? Because the point of that is it does all good things for you. And apparently, you know, about seven days is as long as you can last. Um, according to the baby Jesus. Now, if you want to disagree with the baby Jesus, you go ahead and you have to give your Christmas presents back. Okay, so um, people get tired and, you know, you get tired and that's the way life works. I'm all the way to, I'm turning the page from, uh, well, I should look at the bottom of B. So you get to hear these stories that are foundational, you get an application, and then you get this exhortation or an appeal. And this is the way rhetoric works. So this guy, he writes great Greek, He writes it in the style of ancient rhetoric. In its simplest form, rhetoric tries to do a couple of things. It tries to explain, and it tries to encourage, which is really interesting because I think I've told you before, you know, one of my early and greatest mistakes as a a pastor was to presume that people were rational. I mean, I just thought if I could think really clearly and speak really clearly, people would just come along. I was really stupid. And... (laughs) The thing is, it's possible I'm still really stupid. However, you know, this, at least I've learned this much, that people have, there's a greater component to people than just their brain, right? Uh, you know, I, we're advertising an, an apologetics conference in our thing, and I, I, I read that and I'm just like, I wonder what they'll say. Because in some sense, apologetics presumes that people are rational. I know about four people who are rational, maybe five, the rest of the people are just a blob of emotions kind of being moved around in different directions. Okay, I might be an emotional overstatement, but then I reveal myself. So, uh, you know, but people generally aren't, you know, this is why, this is why politics, on, and on all sides, there's nobody who's telling the truth. The most fun thing is to read the fact-checked after every speech. The people, of course, I'm trust, trusting the fact-checkers now, but nobody can tell the truth. You know why? Because the truth isn't that much fun all the time. And you know what? If you tell the truth, you might not win. And of course, we all know it's not about the common good. It's about winning, right? So, you know, it is what it is. The point of this is, is the people 
in the ancient world were smart enough to know this. They knew you had a mind, they knew you had a heart, and sometimes they also talk about your soul, or they knew you had an intellect and a will, or sometimes they talk about intellect, emotion, and will. You can, and Jesus, you remember Jesus cut people up a different part, your body, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and heart and soul with strength, and heart and soul and mind and strength. You, know, you get it two or three different ways in the scriptures. The point is, this has to cover everything that you are. And the guy who wrote this is very clever because he gives you something intellectual, something for your mind, something for your mind to see and understand, right? But he also presents something for your heart to love. This is terribly important because what happens is you choose what you love. So what your mind sees and what your heart loves, your will chooses. And so classic rhetoric understood human beings in that way. It just wasn't just that he would tell you the stories and make the case. These are the great stories. This is great history, great intellectual history. No, he actually says, hey, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You remember, and that story is your story. So what happens? What happens, basically, all of chapter 11 is God saying, I really, really love you. You know what? I love you. I love you the way I loved Moses. I love you the way I loved Abraham. I love you the way I love the children of Israel. I love you the way I love you, my only son. What happens is when people repeatedly tell you that they love you, what happens to you? You love them back. And you follow along, right? And it's very clever the way this is written. It seems, and it is, dense. I mean, the guy's he's very smart. And the Greek is very good. And the rhetoric is fantastic. But he's basically doing three things to you. He's telling you a story so that your mind has something to embrace, right? Something to understand. Your mind sees. Your heart loves. That story is my story, too. And then your will chooses, right? That's how human beings work. And you have to pay attention to all three of those. Otherwise, you know, you'll go bust just thinking that if you think clearly and speak clearly, everything is going to work out. You still good? David, how are you this morning? I'm wonderful. How's Karen working out? <laughs> well, if we can get rid of this backache. <laughs> hey, I'll come over and crack that for you later. Hey, a PhD is a real doctor, okay? Okay, good. <laughs> Right. It's, I found that a, a very unique way of phrasing it. See, the problem with you and me is, you know, we get stuck here, we get stuck here, we stuck here, things go badly, and we're martyred, and we get stuck there, right? Mm-hmm. But, of course, what he's saying is, is um, pay attention, man. You've got, you got to see the whole story, right? Mm-hmm. If you really start to think of yourself as somebody who doesn't die, I mean, I don't think we think about this in terms of having children or being children, right? So, I mean... Um, to have a child is to be a co-creator or a con-creator more specifically. But you create something that lasts forever. It's really quite a remarkable thing the Lord has done for us, right? But the whole notion that we actually last forever. And of course, this has been lost. You know, one of the great goals of the Enlightenment was, was to erase this. Over the last 300 years, the goal has been to erase. This is our world. This is our cosmos. This is our history. 
and we don't need God to get in the way of it. Right? So the whole point was to say, these are our problems, and we'll take care of it ourselves. It hasn't worked out very well, but uh, nevertheless, it is, you know, this is how we think about life now. Most people think about life. This is what I meant before by saying, you know, America isn't a Christian country in this sense. This is no longer in the vocabulary. Things like creation are not in the vocabulary. The difference between human beings and animals, for example, um, that we live forever, that you have a soul. So the thing is, is you can't just argue people into that. You have a soul. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. But if you can show them something wonderful, something beautiful, right, and you can ask why that matters, right? And I, and, you know, I know, I know, I know brain people who explain it as chemical reaction, but I'm always interested in the one thing. I'm always interested in one, uh, in one step back. Why do the chemicals react? Why did the big bang bang? Right? You always have to ask the question behind the question. It's, it's, it's extraordinarily important not to allow the let the to let the first assertion go unchallenged. You don't have to challenge hard. You can just ask the question: Why this order rather than another order? The reason I'm finding it so delightful is that's why we go to churches where we don't make questions. That's exactly right. See, the thing is, is if all you ever do is watch Netflix, suddenly you have another narrative in your life. I mean, seriously. I mean, I know what you and Karen watch, and you're basically saying, call the midwife. That's my, you know. No, I mean, uh, you know. All right, that's because that's a good example. I could give you a bad example. I, you know, there's other stuff. Uh, you remember that when you were binge-watching Breaking Bad? You remember that? That's what I'm talking about. Never mind. See, that was a test. That was good. So... Um, we are the stories that we tell about ourselves. We are the stories that we tell about ourselves. Whatever story you tell, that's what you are. We are the stories we tell about ourselves. So what happens here? You tell the story, you tell the story, you tell the story. You're embraced by the story, you're engaged by the story, you're absorbed by the story. The story becomes your story. And you live the story that you embrace. Right? You can talk about it in all different ways. You can talk about it in a literary way, you can talk about it in a philosophical way. However you want to talk about it, the point is, um, whatever we choose, that's what we become. Now I'm all the way back to the first thing I've ever told you, which is, the Christian life is very simple. Touch holy things, don't touch evil things. I mean, everything Jesus says boils down to that. Everything Jesus says boils down to love God and don't have any enemies. Touch holy things, don't touch evil things. It's really quite simple, Okay. So point four, and then we're done, because it is 39 seconds until 1040. Go to church, right? Because this is where you get it. This is why church is important, because you can't you know, get it other places. The liturgy is the place where you get the touch, right? So you go to church. This is where God speaks, through our prophets, but especially through his son. And here is where you get the touch. And that's the most important thing. When people say, I can get it somewhere else, I can get it on my basketball, I can get it on the golf course, I can get it you know, in the Grand Canyon, I can get it... actually. You can get it, but not in the same way. You don't get touched with the flesh and blood of Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit is not given through those things, although the Holy Spirit is active there, and Jesus is to thank. You heard already that he's the agent of creation. He did it all, right? So um, it's good, and this is best, and you're meant to make progress, and you have to hold on, and sometimes life is terribly difficult, and you still have to hold on. And if you don't go to church, you will not hold on, right? Your sins chip away at your souls. And I think we had a margin comment last week uh, run intentionally toward this, which was, if you don't love this, you'll love something else. It was written this way, which is, if your heart isn't given to Christ, 
something else will fill your heart. Jesus said this too, right? An empty heart eventually gets filled with demons. You fill it with holy things or you fill it with demons. Those are the choices. There isn't an in-between. You remember Jesus saying, you know, um, you remember this? You remember the story? We said the demons were cast out and then nothing happened and then the demons came back and they went and got all their demon little buddies and they came back and Jesus says, it was worse for her than it was before. We should have just left her alone. Right? So that's all, all for you too. All right, anyway, I, I won't tell you to sit down and read all of Hebrews because I think it would be frustrating for you. But if you can read some chunks, that would be good. I'm not going to go verse by verse as the vicar does, so the joy group folks will have to chime in with the verse by verse connections. What I'm going to do is just take a couple of themes, and I'm going to work with the things that God is giving you in the church. And I'm not going to sort of finger wag you into going to church. What I'm going to suggest to you is that it's really good for you to come because you're going to get things here that you can't get anyplace else. Right? And if you don't come here, your life will be poor for it. And if you don't go to heaven, heaven will be a poorer place. I mean, what God wants is all his children home again. He wants you home again, and this is the way. That's the whole point of Hebrews. All right, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Uh, Sign up for the men's retreat, okay? Bring your friends. Cheers. Cheers.